0: Hello and welcome to the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name is Stephen Watson, I'm the founder of Stack, and this week I'm speaking to Jules Danskin and Heather Parry, their managing director and editorial director of Extra Teeth, a literary magazine that publishes great new writing from Scotland. They sent us copies of their first two issues recently, and I was really impressed, not just by the quality, but also the range of the writing. And as you'll hear during our conversation, part of the motivation behind Extra Teeth is to challenge and redefine what Scottish writing really is. There's a real ambition, I think, to look beyond what they call the Highlands and Islands and Edinburgh Noir and find something else. They also place a strong focus on working with and developing writers and I loved hearing Heather talking about her approach to editing as something that's generous and honest but most of all compassionate and kind. They want to nurture the writer and the writing itself to help produce the best possible story. I think it sounds like Jules and Heather have got something pretty special going on here, along with their designer Esther Clayton and the guest illustrators they bring on for each issue. So I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with the two founders of Extra Teeth. Hey Jules, Heather, thank you so much for taking time to talk. Thanks for
1: having us. Lovely to be here.
0: So you are well Jules, you're the managing director, and Heather, you're the editorial director of this lovely new literary magazine, Extra Teeth. That sounds like a very uh formal relationship for, for you guys to to have from the outset. How how did this all come together?
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean I think we kind of both have our titles just for the sake of having them in the magazine, but actually it's a real kind of um, smorgasbord we all do everything basically but um, yeah I guess how this all started was um, I ran a bookshop in Edinburgh called Golden Hair Books Um I was the manager there for about three and a half years um, and Heather is known as a as an excellent event chair for things like book festivals and book events um, and this bookshop that I ran we, we did quite a lot of events and um, I can't remember how, but Heather sort of ended up on my, my radar and she did a few events for us one summer. Um, I thought she was great. And then we we often asked her to do events. At that time, she was living in Edinburgh. She's now in Glasgow. Mm. Um, and we just got to know each other and got chatting about the book scene. We would often go for a wine or four after an event <laughs> that we did together. Um, and we started thinking about, okay, so what's good about the Scottish literary scene? Lots of things. It's very... Like vibrant, there's lots of interesting things happening across Scotland, not just in, in Edinburgh and Glasgow. Um, how do we sort of tie this all together? And we felt that there was a gap in the market for a magazine that celebrated Scottish writing as well as um, pulling together amazing uh, art, artist um, artwork and, and design. So that that's really where it started over, definitely over a glass of wine and a, and a board of sort of. Um, like bread and cheese
0: and kind of <laughs> <laughs> Okay, the glass of wine, very common. You're, you're going upmarket with the bread and cheese. That's that's absolutely fine. It's interesting that you say that you... A motivating factor for this was the Scottish literature because reading the, the two issues that you've put out so far, there are some stories that very clearly, you know, maybe they're, like, set in Edinburgh or something. But then there's, I'd say, just as many stories, if not more that don't seem to have any clear connection to, to Scotland. What, what What's your kind of guiding direction on that?
1: I'm sure that Jules, as an actual Scot, rather than just an adopted Scot, mm-hmm. um, will have something to say about this. But I think those of us that live and work in the Scottish literature scene very much feel that Scottish literature can be compartmentalised in a strange way, um, in a way that Irish literature isn't um and you know people think that scottish literature has to be all about scotland as a place Mm. it has to be the highlands and islands or it has to be you know noir set in edinburgh or you know we have a good example with the booker prize right now so suggy bane is your kind of what i call grim dark um (laughs) gritty literature um but there's so much about the scottish lit scene that just isn't that it's outward looking and you know a lot of the writers that live here have come from different places um everyone knows michelle faber as a previously adopted scot but no one seems to think of his literature as scottish literature even though it, it really was for um for a little wee while there so yeah we wanted to show the scottish lit scene in all of its glory and that's with adopted scots that's with scots who've gone to live somewhere else but also we didn't just want to show Scottish literature in itself so we've got people from different countries we've got people who live down in England Ireland you know all over the world and we don't just want it to be in this very small box of what Scottish writing has to be
0: Mm, mm, mm. I mean a magazine like this obviously will stand or fall on the strength of its writing and i mean one of the things that really stands out for you is that you've just got some fantastic stuff in there so how do you go about finding these writers where do they come from
2: and there was quite interesting processes i guess for issue one where it was really heather and i just figuring out how to make a magazine as we went along and we did a kickstarter campaign um but before we launched that uh we approached 12 different writers who we really loved. Um, and we were just incredibly lucky. I still I think neither Heather nor I can still quite believe that everyone just said yes. <laughs> really excited by the project. Um, and they were like, yeah, if you can raise the money, let's, let's, let's do it. So um and then we did. We managed we it was a very stressful month, I'm sure. <laughs> Heather can verify that. It was we did that in July 2019. Um, and then we we actually had to make the thing um so issue one was entirely commissioned and um, in terms of of writers um and then for issue two we we opened submissions so public submissions um which is how we're we're gonna put the magazine together so going forward um there might be a couple of authors we approach or um what's happened. Um, in, the, in the case of um, Nehru's Karmut story that's published and that was actually a collaboration with small indie um, Manchester-based comma Press um, who approached us and said uh, look, would you like to um, work together? We can, um, you can choose a story that you'd like to publish and we, you know, we paid Nehru's just the same as we, we pay all of our, our authors. Mm. So quite different from issue one to issue two but, but mostly um, we, we get the people to come to us. We ask them to send our, our boldest work
1: She's a character that's very interesting in that you wouldn't think of her as being a Scottish writer or having anything to do with Scotland. But I first came across Nehru's at the Edinburgh Book Festival last year, where she had gone through a quite hellish process to get out of um, where she lives, which is um, Gaza, to come to the book festival to be able to speak. And she was on a few panels there. And the Scottish literature scene has kind of embraced her completely fully because of her talent and the things she said, but also her um, struggles to be heard as well. So it was really important for me that we get people like that involved and we give them a platform um, and also just celebrate their incredible writing.
0: Mm, mm, mm. I'm interested in, the, in, in what you're looking for in these writers. So I, I think that um, Jules, you just used the word bold. The, is, is that kind of a guiding light for you?
2: Um, yeah, I, I think we, really, we both really like the word bold, don't we? Because it's kind of not as, I think sometimes weird and experimental can be um, quite genrefied. So I think finding our own words that, that just kind of means strong and vivid and different. And I think both what Heather and I really like is as writers to feel like they're, they're sending um, work that might not, find a place elsewhere in a more mainstream publication but right. uh, I remember when we were when we were started um, crowdfunding and um, Heather came up with this this tagline for the magazine which is words with bite and I still really like that I think uh, quite, we get asked about it quite a lot what does that what does that mean um, and I think it just means something with, with a slight edge to it something that's that doesn't fit into um, into mainstream publishing all the time necessarily. Uh, I really like words with bite. <laughs> I think we'll stick with that for the foreseeable. <laughs>
1: <laughs> for me, that came along with, um, I had a sit down with our very good friends, um, Beth and Sam from Counterpoint magazine. Um, I don't know if you know them, Steve. Yeah, yeah, a, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: A, yeah, a beautiful riso-printed um, essay writing magazine based in Edinburgh. And uh, they've been really supportive and lovely friends as well and they said to me that a magazine should surprise and delight and that stayed with me so much in terms of like how we design the magazine how we've gone about putting it together but also the work in it like jules and i both really like fiction that just stays with you you know you can't shake it off even if you wanted to the kind of thing that you put the book or the magazine down and you're thinking about it for the rest of the day you know for the next few weeks, you're thinking about it a year later.
0: Mm. And we
1: just really wanted to publish that kind of work.
0: Mm. There's a a piece in your second issue uh, called Wonderful Monsters by, uh, I think it's Rowan Hisayo uh, Buchanan. Um, And it's written from the perspective of a teenage girl um, and her younger brother is self-harming. And, God, just the sort of quiet, mundane tone that that story holds while also being completely gripping. I mean, the talk about something that stays with you. Like I'd, I'm going to be thinking about that for a while.
2: Yeah, that's so interesting. I, I think that's what I like about Extra Teeth. And I'm so pleased to see this happening as much with issue two as issue one is that everyone we speak to seems to have a different favourite. And I think that there's some, there's a different piece that speaks to everybody in a slightly different way, whether it talks to your own experience or whether you just really like that style of writing. Because there's some, um, like I'm thinking of Catalina's, uh, Catalina Watt's story, Lure, um, which is is really quite kind of horror and then we have these beautiful stories like like ruins um, and then the ones that defy um, definition like Jan Carson's about the, the sort of uncooking. Um so I think. But one thing that maybe unifies the stories is that there is just something slightly unusual. There's something in these worlds that just isn't sitting quite right. Mm-hmm. It can be a realistic story. It doesn't need to be really out there, but there's just some. I think all of our writers are, are looking at the world in a, in a slightly different lens that really talks to both Heather and I, um, yeah, it's, it's a real delight to put together.
1: <laughs> I have to say as well, we get, I love putting the magazine out there just because of the responses we get and the different things that people really connect to. So we, we had a lovely like Twitter thread about us this weekend and it was, um, a reader who'd really, really connected to Jamie Redgate's essay in the second issue which is about um it's called meat is the medium and it's about catherine gunn and ruth ozeki and the way they treat the like corporeal form as a as an actual physical thing rather than a concept in their work and um when that came in via submissions and i love it so much because i love geek love i love catherine gunn's <laughs> work so i immediately was like i'll i'll beg jules to put this in if i have to Um, But she loved it as well. But the reader couldn't believe that she was reading this in a published thing because she'd actually written her PhD, I think it was, about sort of circus in fiction. Mm. But Mm. she'd never read someone writing about geek love in that way. Mm. And those are the moments that really do it for me.
0: Now, the, like once upon a time, obviously, uh, the way to run a magazine like this would be to publish an issue and then have a launch party, like maybe at a bookshop or something like that, and, and get your community around you. Clearly, that's not happening at the moment. So what are you doing and how has that been affected by COVID and all the restrictions that we've got in place?
2: Oh, we so want a party i can't tell you <laughs> <laughs> we had an amazing one in november when issue one launched at custom lane down in, in leaf um which is very close to where i live and it just felt like just the, the best kind of book party like there were people from all sorts of um backgrounds like loads of people that you don't usually see at these kind of booky things and um it was just a real kind of celebration like we had and um, we had like music and readings from from issue one it was just a great party um which is something that's, that's i really love literary events and, and heather does too that's kind of how we like a, a big part of what we love about being part of the, the publishing scene and um, so it was really hard to accept and i think when we made the decision in march to delay issue two it was originally supposed to be published in may and i'm really glad that we did that because i think it made us um I think since we couldn't go forward at that time it kind of made us sort of dig down and think about like what's going well and how can we ex- expand our community despite all of all of this and um, so we started something called extra teeth at home where we asked our our contributors from issue one and then the upcoming issue two to record videos of themselves in their homes it's all up on our instagram tv um, and that felt like a, a way to kind of still contribute to the kind of event scene um and we're currently thinking about how we can launch issue two um we've got some ideas that are bouncing around um, and we'll hope to to make an announcement about that soon but to be honest we're still very busy fulfilling orders and that mm-hmm. kind of what takes priority at the moment but uh definitely at some point and um, we'll we'll um We'll definitely do something. But I think there's so many interesting things happening on virtual events. Um, with my my work, I work as a as a freelance publicist with a few independent publishers. Um, so we look into different ways of how we can expand our audience through events online and um we've got Zoom events and all of that kind of thing, obviously. But I think there's really interesting things happening on on Instagram Live as well. People are finding really creative ways to to get their um to get their work out there and, and and like you say build that community it's so important to have these moments where you look around and appreciate what you've done and but then there's also physical events have started up again and i, I don't think we'll be doing anything anytime soon it obviously depends on the landscape but i saw uh, fitz editions did something um i think it was just last week um they had a distanced event with three of their authors in like a big warehouse so i think um, there's going to be really interesting things going forward, but it's hard to imagine at this stage we go back to ever not having a digital element
0: to mm, events
2: mm, mm, um, mm. because of the access it provides. Sorry, that was a really long-winded answer. You can feel free <laughs> to <go. I>
1: cut <laughs> most of that. No, 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 I no. Should no. Say, I should say as well, one of the um, major issues, well, one of the big challenges for us putting putting the magazine together during, like, the, you know, the height of the lockdown restrictions was simply not being able to sit down together Mm -hmm. so jules and i are directors of the magazine but our kind of like third beetle if you will is our incredible designer esther clayton who we we when we started the magazine we basically sat down with her and i thought we were going to have to beg her to (laughs) take a part and she also thought she was auditioning (laughs) Mm. but we couldn't do the magazine without her she is such a driving force in how it looks Um, basically it would be like a stapled together printout if it wasn't for Esther (laughs) because she brings all the visual knowledge and all the amazing ideas Um, and usually we like to sit down you know over some snacks and a bit of dinner more wine um, and really hatch it out with the illustrator and things like that and we just couldn't do that Um, and I think David Lem our issue 2 illustrator was a real hero in coming through this whole process without us being able to be physically there with him.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so that was a real challenge, and I'm, I'm really proud of how we came through that with such a, a beautiful thing, which was really down to David and Esther in a huge way. But we did manage to have a celebratory uh, drink, a social distance drink after it came out.
0: Oh, right. OK, OK. So the, the we should explain um, each issue has a different guest illustrator uh, and and like they basically take the magazine and and define the way that it looks. So, I mean, that's obviously a huge uh, responsibility to, to put on somebody. Uh, how do you go about choosing those illustrators?
2: Yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, and, and another process that because we're still so early on in the, in the extra teeth, um, kind of game that we're still figuring out but we have for issue one um it was i think um yeah heather is a good friend and collaborator with maria stoyan um and so when heather suggested maria and um, esther and i had a look at her work and we just kind of thought yeah this would this would be perfect and um, it's really interesting to see the different themes that come out um so we we asked the illustrator to respond to to the stories um, so we, we sort of playfully refer to issue one, which is um, a big uh, sort of um, cut of, of of leg on the on the front of the cover, um, as the meat and sweets um, mm. issue because there's some sort of like <laughs> uh, like oh, so those those kind of strawberry jelly laces at one point throughout the magazine as well. So um, it's really interesting to see the different motifs that that appear, and then for issue two. Um, we were looking at a few different illustrators, all based in Scotland, um, and Esther had just finished um, a, a project with, with David Lem and had really enjoyed working with him. And so um, we thought, well, well, why don't we ask him? Um, we really like his work and um, it would be such an interesting contrast to, to Maria's. Um, so he said yes. And um, as, as Heather said, he's been an absolute joy to work with. Um, we feel like we've got to know both. David and Maria really well, and um, they have just been s- such amazing, creative um, minds to have into the magazine. It's been so interesting to see how they respond to, to the pieces mm, um, mm. in such different ways. It's been really delightful. So, And going forward, um, like we're, we're always looking up illustrators, especially in, in Scotland. Um, we've got a, a kind of rolling call for submissions, so we've, we're kind of actively looking for um for illustrators for upcoming issues, um, where we just ask people to send in their portfolios. Um so yeah, definitely, definitely in a kind of we're we're always looking to discover and learn more about the art scene. Neither yeah. of us coming from um Heather and I coming from a, a design background, I think we're still learning an awful lot about how that process works, but it's been a really joyful part of running the magazine and um, just seeing how these artists just sort of letting them loose which is a really important part of it like the artists sort of say meekly at the start oh do I get sort of free reign and we go yes
0: <laughs> <laughs> and and how does that compare to the writers and so how, how much work will you do with a writer editing a piece before it goes in or are you literally you're, you're printing the work as it's given to you
1: No, we definitely have um, an editorial process. So I come from, um, I'm both a writer and an editor, and I rely so much on my uh, peer networks of writers that have a really um, excellent sort of workshop group. And then past them, I rely on, the editors who are going to publish me so much that if someone was to just take my piece and publish it mm. i would feel really unsure now <laughs> i'd be like but maybe it's not as good as it could be <laughs> so i'm a real believer in the editorial process in in a process that's generous and honest but uh most of all like compassionate and kind because it is of course you know someone's work and that's a, a huge emotional thing um so yeah we we do select obviously on the work that speaks to us um the most but that doesn't mean that it has to be the most polished or the most finished so we have you know very established writers like janice galloway Kirsty logan people like that and then we have writers who we are their first publication um and the editorial process is we usually have like a few rounds back and forth um you know just pulling little strings where they might come free um seeing if we can lean a little bit more into what the story is doing really well basically just making sure it's the best that it can be and it's what exactly the writer wanted it to be as well Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I really enjoy that process and I have to say people are really excellent in um in being part of that as well some writers I think they're a little bit scared of the editorial process because they can perhaps have had a bad experience with it in the past but I really don't think it has to be like that.
2: Yeah, I think this is where Heather and I, like our, our backgrounds and our, our skill sets come into play really well. Like Heather says, she's, she's an amazing writer and an editor and has so much experience in that and submitting to literary magazines, so I think has a real vision about what is fair and how how would you want a writer to be treated because um, you can't always have the, the best experience. So I think that's a really important part of it is the pastoral care of the writers and artists as well. Um, and we were just blown away by how understanding and um and kind and encouraging that our writers were especially around lockdown we we seem to have chosen really nice people as well but um <laughs> but heather coming from that background and then my background but i guess in bookselling selling and and in publishing and kind of getting books out there i think is where our and um, kind of venn diagram of experience kind of comes into play really well um i think we complement each other um, and then with the with the design um the design background of, of Esther Clayton I think I think it's just a really enjoyable experience we just really enjoy working together and we're always learning and thinking oh well let's why do we do this like we we're all, all week, constantly coming up with new projects and new ways to do things it just makes it just keeps the project really fresh and exciting um I don't know if you if you have any thoughts on that Heather
1: no I agree um I'm kind of always amazed at how well we fit together um, oh. as a trisector, <laughs> if you will <laughs> and then also we've been so lucky in having illustrators that just fit into our dynamic really well um, and understand what we're doing and bring so much passion to it I mean both Maria and David have really truly brought all of themselves to this project um, and the way they especially Maria I have to say because we she was our first illustrator I think we just said here it's yours (laughs) and um, she dealt with that so well and we've refined our processes to be more helpful (laughs) um and David as well the way he's conceptualized the work kind of brings me to the verge of tears um he's just done it so beautifully and so thoughtfully and Maria too and yeah it's a bit of a gift to just have this process yeah Yeah.
0: So I I understand you say you haven't actually managed to formally launch issue two yet, but I'm getting impatient. When can we expect to see number three?
2: (laughs) Uh, Number three is coming in February. So our original um, publication schedule is going to be November and May um, however, being pushed back to August, we've just decided to stick with that. We publish um, twice a year, so our next one will be coming at the end of February 2021, come rain or shine.
1: Our submissions period for uh, issue three is actually right now. So for the for the month of September 2020, we're open. Um, and then for issue four, we will be open again in March.
0: Fantastic. Excellent. Well, I'm really looking forward to seeing number three. And I hope that you keep on getting loads more submissions from all over the place because uh, this is um, it's a really, really strong new magazine. Thanks, Steve. Okay, that's all for this week. I'd like to say thanks again to Jules and Heather for making the time to speak to me because I know they're going to be extremely busy at the moment working their way through the submissions for Issue 3. If this magazine sounds like something you'd like to be involved with and if you're Scottish or... Maybe you think you can make a claim to some sort of Scottish identity or affiliation. Drop them a line before the end of the month, um, September 2020, and you could see your work printed in the next issue. Uh, You can see all the details of how to do that at extrateeth.co.uk forward slash submissions. If this is the first time you're coming across our podcast, please do consider following us so we can send you all our episodes uh, as soon as we release them. Just search for Stack Magazines wherever you get your podcasts and of course you'll find loads of previous issues in there too. Thank you very much for listening to this one and we'll be back with another episode next week.